Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Father, we thank you for this time of worship. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the table that uh, you have set before us. Lord, we thank you for the remembrance that we have each and every Lord's Day. We pray now, Lord, that you would speak through this text, uh, Father, and um, bless us each one. Amen. So the translation that um, I read from was the New King James Version. The mighty one will say. We're going to look at that next phrase. Um, Previously, uh, we looked at uh, the Lord your God in your midst, and uh, we celebrated the fact that uh, he is Emmanuel, God with us, that he is in our midst as we celebrate each and every day. We're going to look at the next phrase, the mighty one will save. Um, in the NASB, it says, a victorious warrior. Literally, a warrior who saves. In the NIV, it says, the mighty warrior who saves. So as we look at this, we're talking about the mighty one, the mighty warrior, a victorious warrior who saves. You know, he has already won the victory. Amen? He is seated and ruling and reigning today. There's not a time where he is going to reign. He is reigning today. And in Deuteronomy 10, 17, it says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. You know, our God is greater than any gods of this world and this age. Nothing and no one can stand against him. He will accomplish his purposes with ease and comfort. He is the mighty one, and nothing can conquer or destroy him, as he is and always has been God. Psalm 2 ends with a warning to the kings and judges of this time of all time actually not just this time this is not a new time brothers and sisters the challenges that we face with rulers usurping authority and being tyrannical is not anything new god recorded for us that they should kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little i love that when his wrath is kindled but a little they will perish in the way It was Martin Luther that penned the phrase that with a word he shall be felled. But it doesn't stop there. It says, blessed are all those who put their trust in him. So Vody Bauckham, I like how he simply puts it, God is not running for God. There's not any way that God is seeking more authority looking for our permission or our vote of confidence in him, he is God. Regardless of whether you say you don't believe in God, as the atheist does, or you say, I don't really know if there is a God, as the agnostic says, or if you look at the God of the Bible that is preached here every Lord's Day, and you say, I don't believe in him, 
it doesn't change the fact that he has all authority over you. Again, the mighty one in this passage has authority over the believer and the unbeliever. It doesn't matter your position on the topic. He is an authority. He cannot and will not submit his authority to anyone else. We sang Psalm 100 earlier. And Psalm 100 verse 3 says, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We had nothing to do with our birth, with our being brought into this world, and in our regeneration, being brought into his family. That verse ends with, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So how do we become the sheep of his pasture? You know, we as sinners would never have come to become sheep on our own. We would never come to repentance if it were not for God's saving power in our lives. John 6.44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent him sent me draws him. And it continues, And I will raise him up on the last day. It is only because of God's mighty power that we are saved. Now, uh, Dr. Joe Moorcraft told a short little story about little Johnny. I don't know if you've ever heard him tell this story, but he tells about this young man that's sitting in the back of the church and, um, you know, kind of an ornery young man. Uh, But the pastor is preaching on salvation. The pastor is preaching about how no one can come to the Father unless him who sent me draws him. And at the conclusion, little Johnny comes up and he says, Pastor, I think I understand now. He says, really? He says, what, what do you mean do you understand now? He says, that's great. He says, yes, I did my part and God did his. And the pastor was a little confused at, at that statement. He says, help me understand what you mean, Johnny. Johnny says, well, Pastor, I did the running and God did the catching. And I think that's about as simple as I've ever heard it put. I would have run from God's salvation unless he grabbed a hold of me and saved me. He is mighty to save. He will accomplish his purposes in salvation. Isaiah 12, uh, 14, 24 says, The Lord of hosts has sworn, As I have planned, so shall it be. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. God will fulfill and achieve all of his plans for salvation. There's nothing that can stand against him or stop him from accomplishing this purpose. Now I want to read a a quote from Charles Spurgeon, and I'm sorry, it's a little long. I just had a hard time stopping. Um, So he's speaking of this passage and the mighty one specifically who will save. He says, his arm is not shortened. He is still a just God and a savior. Nor is he merely able to save, but he will display that ability. He will save. Come, my brother, we see around us this and that to discourage us. Let us, like David, encourage ourselves in the Lord our God. 
we may very well forget all difficulties since the God who is in the midst of us is mighty to save. Let us pray, then, that he will save, that he will save his own church from lukewarmness and from deadly error, that he will save her from her worldliness and formalism, save her from unconverted ministers and ungodly members. Let us lift up our eyes and behold the power which is ready to save. And let us go on to pray that the Lord may save the unconverted by thousands and millions. Oh, that we might see a great revival of religion. This is what we want before all things. This must smite the enemy upon the cheekbone and break the teeth of the adversary. If tens of thousands of souls were immediately saved by the sovereign grace of God, what a rebuke it would be to those who deny the faith. So in Spurgeon's day, again, there's no different than in our day. This should be our prayer, that the mighty one who will save would save thousands and millions, and that this world would be redeemed in his name. Zephaniah uh, previously, uh, 12 and 13, you can look back there if you're still there. He says, I will leave in your midst a meek and humble people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall do no unrighteousness and speak no lies, nor shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. For they shall feed their flocks and lie down and no one shall make them afraid. Zephaniah is speaking of a day when this will happen. This should be our prayer for the Lord that we see his mighty power to save continually. But this is only the work of the Lord. This they will seek only because they've been made alive under Christ. They will no longer sin or stumble only because he is able to keep them from doing so. The salvation for the people of God, which are his possession, he will bring deliverance for us. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. That word uttermost there, I love it. It means completely and forever. But those who are not his people, there's only judgment and wrath and destruction. But God will save his people in his perfect time. And we read it uh, earlier. You, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. Psalm 86, 15. Zephaniah 3, 15, as we conclude here, says, The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. He has taken away our guilt. He has taken away our judgment by taking upon himself. He has removed our wickedness. He has removed our impurities and he has clothed us with his righteousness. 
We should no longer fear. We should no longer be afraid. And as we come to this table, we can come boldly, not on our own works, but on the completed work of Christ. So let us rejoice as we come. Let us seek His mercy and His grace for all of our needs. And as we come to this table, that we do rejoice with Him with thanksgiving forevermore. As we come to the table this week and celebrate thanksgiving with our families, there's nothing more thankful that we should be for than the salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let us worship this mighty, victorious one that does and will save. Amen? Father, we thank you that um, you have given us a victorious warrior, Lord, that has won the victory on our behalf, that has given us, Lord, righteousness, an alien righteousness. We praise you for that. We ask now, Lord, that as we come and we celebrate at this table, Father, we just thank you for the blessing that it is. Amen.